Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Kyle, and I brought two people to be up here in front of you this morning that are great people. I want to tell you about them and our excitement about them. This is Luke, and this is Mallory. Everybody tell them hi. They're kind of nervous right now, so, you know, wave at them so they're not so nervous. Luke, you're not nervous, are you? He's good. Mallory, are you nervous? That, that means yes. That means yes. Uh, let me tell you about these guys. They're up here because they're incredible people. Um, Luke Brown has been uh, one of our pastors here for several years. One of the areas of focus of his ministry, among others, has been our kids' ministry, and he's been leading that faithfully, and God has blessed and grown that ministry. And his role is going to be shifting, going to continue to lead HC groups, but also going to really focus in on discipleship in church, uh, discipleship in our church, which includes HC groups. And we're just excited about that role shift and helping us do what Jesus has called us to do in making disciples. So we're really excited about that. Mallory has been a part of our church for several years. She's also been in the schoolroom, um, the elementary school, um, teaching and just doing an awesome job there. We have just brought her on today as her first official day as a part of our ministry team. And she's our new HC Kids Ministry Director. So can you all just welcome them, make them just feel really, really good? Yeah. And the reason all that has happened because of, is because of growth in our church and in our kids' ministry and in other areas, and we're just excited to have them uh, on our team. So we just wanted you to see them and know what they're doing so that you can be praying for them, and we're going to do that in just a moment. Also, we've got some really great opportunities coming up on Wednesdays. Uh, school year kicks back off. We kind of get back into the swing of things on Wednesday nights around here, and we're very excited about that. And uh, one is in Awana, and the other is in HCSM, which is our student ministry, and the other is called Disciples Path. All three of these are going to be happening on Wednesday nights. Uh, you're going to be hearing about dates. Some of those dates are already available when they're going to be starting and all those kind of things. But uh, we need your participation in these areas because we want you to volunteer. We want you to serve. We want you to help. Awana really pours the Word of God into our kids on Wednesday night. Uh, they get into the Word of God, and they get the Word of God into them. And so we need more volunteers there, don't we, Mallory? Yes, she's smiling really, really big. And so if you'd like to serve and just help some kids get the Word of God into them, uh, you can see her. You also can sign up on the communication card and also on the app. And there's just great ways that you can volunteer throughout the school year in Awana. Um, our student ministry is awesome, as our kids' ministry is as well. And uh, Nick, he's not up here because his face isn't pretty enough to be up here. No, he's out of town today. And so we didn't bring Nick up, but Nick's our student pastor, doing an awesome job. And uh, pool tour has gone awesome. I think they've got one more big hoorah. I think this Wednesday's the big slip and slide. If you know anything about that, it's kind of a big deal. But anyways, we kick back into fall. If you want to serve and you want to volunteer uh, to help uh, with our student ministry, uh, you can connect with Nick about that, and there's great opportunities. He's there. And then Luke is going to be leading our Wednesday night disciples path. And this is just going to be an opportunity to gather, to get around God's word, and to begin a journey of discipleship in your own life. Maybe you would consider yourself a disciple and you want to learn more and you want to grow and you want to be a part of what God is doing in your life more. It'd be a great opportunity for you. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm a believer, but I really don't know what it looks like to follow Jesus. We want you to connect with the Disciples Path. It's not going to be completely contained or constrained to Wednesday nights, but this is going to be the launching pad of some of the things we're going to do for discipleship. So those three things are coming up. We'd love for you to pick one and be involved Wednesdays this fall at HC. Right now what we want to do is we want to pray, ask God's blessings upon these two and the new roles that they're going to be filling and our Wednesday ministries coming up. So would you pray with me? 
Father, we bow before you this morning. I want to thank you for Luke. I want to thank you for Mallory. I want to thank you for their lives and how they've just been willing to serve you. And God, to help our church move forward as we learn more about you and we become more like, uh, like you, Jesus. God, I pray for Luke as he helps us develop more disciples, more followers of you. I pray you bless him and you empower him with your Holy Spirit to do what's in front of him as he is now our discipleship pastor. Father, I pray that you just bless him. Father, we thank you for Mallory uh, taking a giant leap of faith and joining our ministry team here. We're so excited about her being full-time with us here at the church and leading our kids' ministry. Father, our kids' ministry has grown, and we believe it's going to continue to grow and that you're going to bless it. We believe that you're going to use her to lead us. And, Father, I just pray that you just, um, God, again, fill her with your spirit to do what you have set her aside to do. And we're thrilled about what you are doing in our church. I pray that Wednesday nights... As in the school year, will just be great, God, whether it's in Awana or student ministry or in discipleship, God, that just good things that bring you glory will take place as we serve, as we volunteer, as we lean into what you are doing in and through this church for your namesake. God, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give these guys a hand one more time? Thank you all so much. Love you guys. Super, super excited about those guys and what God is doing in our church. We are going to get into God's Word now in our sermon series called Journeys. Uh, next week, we'll wrap up this series in the book of Acts. We've really broken it down into three parts, and we are going to wrap it out, um, this third part, uh, next week. And so, you know, if you're thinking we're finally going to be done with Acts and you want to let out a big, you can do that. Or maybe you're like me and you realize we've actually blown through Acts and we have covered some really exciting, incredible things, but you also know there's many more things in there that we didn't have time to cover. And so uh, I'll just go ahead and warn you now, we're going to cover like six chapters this morning, all right? So there you go. Some of you are like, can we leave? Can we go? Um, that was my joke of the day right there. That's as good as it gets. Uh, and so if you didn't laugh there, it's not going to get any funnier, all right? Um, but we are going to uh, be in the book of Acts. We're going to start out in chapter 21. If you don't go to open there, and we'll look at that in just a few moments. Uh, the weather the last few days has been incredible. Uh, I don't sound like it. I'm very congested right now. The congestion started because I went to kids camp this past week. And I don't know what, if you've ever experienced, uh, you know, four or five nights in a room with um, about 48, 9, and 10-year-old boys or not, but this is the result of that. That was my second joke that I didn't think would be as funny, but I thought maybe a little chuckle. Anyway, that's what's going on there. But also, I had a really neat opportunity. Uh, I got to take my two oldest boys, uh, they're 11 and 9, and we got to go on a backpack trip. Uh, this weekend, we went on Friday, came back on Saturday. It was just a one-nighter. And so what a backpack trip is, if those of you don't know what backpacking is, it means you put on your back your backpack and you take everything in you need to camp. And that's what we did. And we had a great time. And we went up um, into uh, Hemmed in Hollow Falls. And if you've never heard of Hemmed in Hollow Falls, it's a really cool place. Even in the middle of summer when there isn't much water falling, it is the highest waterfall between the Appalachians and the Rocky Mountains. And it's in North Arkansas. Didn't know if you knew that or not. 210 feet the waterfall is. And it was kind of a trickle, uh, kind of coming over, kind of shower head like right now. But it was still absolutely 
incredible. The weather was perfect. We enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, overall, by the time we went down and we did all of our exploring and we came back up, which, by the way, elevation gain's pretty serious, well over 1,500 feet elevation gain. That's a pretty good amount. Um, we trekked over 10 miles over a couple of days. I am sore. My legs are sore right now. But we had a great, great time. We started out at Compton, not California, but there's a little spot on the map in Arkansas called Compton. We started out at the Compton Trailhead. We went down, we did all of our stuff, and we came back up. We went what? We went full circle. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, going full circle. Paul, who we've been reading so much about in the book of Acts, he started his journey in Jerusalem. And if you don't know much about Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem is just the epicenter of the world for years in so many ways. In particular, it's the epicenter of Christianity because that's where Jesus was born in that area, technically in Bethlehem, but spent much of his time in Jerusalem leading and serving and preaching and healing and ultimately being accused of crimes that he wasn't guilty of and being crucified on a cross and bleeding there and suffering and dying there. And then he came back from the dead. And that's where all of this that we today believe in happened. Well, Paul was radically changed by Jesus. In fact, his name used to be Saul, so radically changed. They changed his name to Paul. Paul leaves Jerusalem and he goes on this worldwide tour. As it kind of goes, it's almost like Paul told the other believers there in Jerusalem, hey you guys, y'all win Jerusalem, I'll take the rest of the world. And the rest of the world he did. And what we're seeing today as we get into the book of Acts is him wrapping up his third missionary journey. As you can see on the screen there, over 8,000 miles he traveled in a little over seven years or so. 8,000 miles. Most of it by foot, some of it by boat, maybe a little bit of it by horseback or a mule. But I cannot imagine traveling 8,000 miles in that day and age and what they had. I mean, think about it. They wore sandals. They wore robes. Yesterday, we were in really, really good, you know, shoes that were made for hiking. And we had ergonomic packs that were made for it. And we had all of our gear. And you could say, well, Paul was a tent maker, so he had it made. You know how much tents weighed in those days? I mean, they made them out of leather. They tanned hides. And maybe he had a really nice tent, but can you imagine hauling the pounds and pounds of gear? What do you do for food? They didn't have freeze-dried food back then. How do you go on all of this journey and figure out how to eat and how to survive? The weather was perfect for us this weekend. Trust me, the weather was not perfect during his 8,000-mile journeys. Uh, you can imagine how hot it must have gotten in the summertime months, how cold it must have gotten in the wintertime months. How much of a difference just a simple drizzling rain would have made as you went about your journey on a dirt path, much less a hard downpour or a storm. And Paul survived and just kept going and serving and preaching the gospel. This is not to mention the many times that he was um, um, accused of crimes and thrown into jail and mobs came and beat him and stoned him and he was whipped and all these things happened to him. And now we see him coming full circle. He left Jerusalem, went on these three missionary journeys and now finally he's coming back to Jerusalem to report to the church what God was doing in and through his life for the kingdom of God. And let me remind you this really quick. If you're not careful, 
as we've been studying and looking at the book of Acts, and as you read the book of Acts, the name Paul is in there a lot. And if you're not careful, you might think the book of Acts is about Paul. It's not. The book of Acts is about Jesus, as is the book of Genesis and the book of Exodus and Leviticus. And just keep going. As you read the Word of God, I want to tell you, Old Testament, New Testament, it's all about Jesus. God may use great people like Paul or like Abraham, but ultimately it's about the Messiah whose name is Jesus. Pick up in Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse number 15. Verse 15. Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse number 15. It says, after this, we, and notice the word we is here for a long time. We've been hearing about them, but it would seem that what has happened in this process is that Luke, who has written the book of Acts, not the Luke that was up here a minute ago, a Luke that lived a long time ago, but that Luke that wrote the book of Acts has joined them in this journey. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. So again, we're coming full circle. We're coming back to where it all began. Verse 16. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied, accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manasson, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to go back to people that you know? Have you ever been away from home for a long time? People not treat you so well in other places you've been. You finally come home. You're like, the smells are what I'm looking for, right? The, the, the hugs and all. They finally get back to a place that's glad to see them. It goes on here, verse number 18. The next day Paul went with us to meet with James and all the elders, pastors of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. I don't know if it gets you excited, but it gets me excited to read the Word of God and read about what happened. Can you imagine if Paul strolled into our gathering and said, hey, I've been gone three missionary journeys and over 8,000 miles later, I want to sit down with you and I want to tell you firsthand what has happened. I don't know about you, but when, like, Chase Reynolds comes in from Indonesia, I get really, really excited. I read his reports. I get emails from him. I see his updates on Facebook. But this guy and his family are serving the Lord, and God is moving greatly in Indonesia. And when he rolls in, it's like, oh, we get to hear from him. And Paul rolls in, and he begins to explain to them. I would imagine that worship and celebration took place as he talked about what God was doing in and through his kingdom. Well, as he gets back to Jerusalem... Paul is now going to have the opportunity to stand before four groups of people. And you're going to see them on the screen. The first group of people that he gets to stand before is the Jerusalem High Council. This would have been the leaders of the um, Jewish faith. This would have been the guys that were kind of in charge around the temple. They made sure that all the people that were part of the Jewish faith were doing what they were supposed to do. Uh, they definitely were rule makers and rule followers. And he got to stand before them and share Jesus. This also includes this time before the Jewish High Council Paul literally had a time in public after he was arrested. Huge mob gathered, huge group of people, his own people, the Jewish people. And they hushed to hear him speak. Instead of Paul saying, I'm innocent, let me go. Paul proclaims Jesus, his death, his burial, 
and his resurrection, as Paul is so faithful to do. And now he stands before the Jewish high council. Then he's going to stand before Felix, who's a governor of the region. And then Felix will be replaced a couple years after this. And by the way, Felix held on to Paul for about two years, kept him in custody for about two years. Felix is removed, and Festus is put into his place as the new governor, and Paul is going to get to speak with Festus, and then eventually with Agrippa, who was kind of like the king of the region. He wouldn't be the ruler of the world. That would have been Caesar, but Agrippa would have been a king of the region. So often, I let you know that there are really great Baby name ideas in the Bible. Here you go, Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. All right, so if you got a baby on the way, you're considering, here we go. There's three of them right there. Probably as you read about these guys, you don't want to name them after them, uh, probably. Uh, but Felix and Festus and Agrippa. Well, look now over to Acts chapter 23 and verse number 11. You're like, oh, we're not covering every verse in the six chapters. Correct. Ex, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 23 and verse number 11 After Paul met with the Jewish high council, this is what we read in Acts chapter 23 and verse number 11. That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Here's what's happening in Acts chapter 23. The Lord is literally speaking to Paul. It would seem that after 8,000 miles and a return to Jerusalem, which has incited a mob that has resulted in his arrest and standing before a high council that wants to string him up and kill him, that Paul is down. Paul is discouraged. Paul is wondering if he has the strength to keep going on. And so the Lord speaks to him. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Paul, I would have needed the Lord to speak to me a lot more times than just this one, right? I get discouraged just like you do. I get down just like you do. I get dismayed just like you do. And the Lord comes along and speaks to Paul, and he speaks to us today through his word to keep going in what he has called us to do, whether that's in parenting or whether that's in marriage or whether that's in sharing the gospel, whether that's in volunteering and doing the things that are in front of you, whatever it may be, we need the Lord's encouragement. And he got this encouragement. Now think about this for just a moment. The Lord spoke to Paul. Okay, so God speaks out loud sometimes. He did it in Bible times. The Lord spoke Paul. This is the same Lord that was crucified in Jerusalem years earlier. So how could the Lord speak to him years after he was crucified? You know the answer, don't you? Because he came back from the dead. Guess what the voice of God did for him? It reminded him that his Savior was not dead, but he was alive. It reminded him that all of those 8,000 miles and those thousands of people, some that received Christ and many that rejected Christ, the reason why he did all of that was because of the resurrected Savior. It wasn't because I've got this really good idea and I think my way is better than your way. He realized that Jesus, who came back from the dead, was the only way of life, was the only way of forgiveness, and was the only way of salvation. And so Paul's preaching, 
And our preaching and our teaching and our sharing should definitely include the resurrection of Jesus. My dad would say any preach, any preaching worth its salt. You ever heard that term? Worth its salt. My dad uses that a lot. Worth its salt has the resurrection of Jesus in it. And that's what we see Paul doing over and over again. Look now to Acts chapter 25 and verse number 19. Paul gets to share before Festus. We have Felix, he's been replaced, and now we've got Festus. Paul stands before him, and I want you to see the reaction of Festus in Acts chapter 25 and verse number 19 as Paul faithfully shares the resurrection of Jesus. Festus kind of interviews him and listens to him, trying to figure out what do I do with this guy? Is he guilty of something or not? Here's what he says in verse number 19. Here's what Festus, the governor, says. He's explaining what he's heard. He says, instead, I I thought he was going to be guilty of something. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. That's how he sums up what he's heard from Paul so far. And I would say to you that there are a lot of people in the world, people we're related to, people we go to work with, people we interact with, people we do life with, people that we're friends with, and they hear about us following Jesus, and they're like, I don't really know what your excitement is. It's about a dead, name, dead dude named Jesus who you think is alive. And here he is with the truth of the gospel, Festus is. And he dismisses it, saying it's just a rumor. It's just an idea of their religion. It has nothing to do with anything that matters. And yet what he doesn't realize is this is the only thing that really matters. Drop down now to chapter 26 and verse number 1. Chapter 26 and verse number 1. Agrippa enters the scene. Agrippa comes to town to visit with Festus. And he finds out about this Paul. He's like, I've heard about him. I want to hear from him. And so Agrippa has this gathering to hear from Paul. And Agrippa really likes himself. He is the king, and he wants everybody to know it, and he wants everybody to like him, and he wants everybody to enjoy him. So a lot of pomp and circumstance around Agrippa as he gets this group together. Acts chapter 26, verse number 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, the king, I mean, think about this, the king of that region is interacting with Paul. This is a crazy interaction. He says, you may speak in your defense. Don't miss this. So Paul, gesturing with his hand, started his defense. It is biblical to speak and to preach with your hands. Some of you are going to use that this week with your family, right? Like, I'm doing what is biblical right now, right? I use my hands a lot when I talk. If you're a hand talker, it's biblical. And so I don't know if he gave it one of these. I don't know what he did, but for whatever reason, it records that he used his hand to gesture that he was starting. All right, verse 2. I'm fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders who were in, they were present on that day. Verse 3. For I know you, Agrippa, are an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. Paul knows who he's talking to. He knows this king wants to rule well, so he knows the people that he's over. Agrippa's not a Jew, but he cares about what they think and how they function and their religion and their beliefs so that he can function well within it and make a name for himself. Verse 4. As the Jewish leaders are well aware, 
I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my, my own people and in Jerusalem. If they would admit it, they know that I've been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect, sect of our religion. And so what he's saying here is what I used to be a part of in the Jewish religion were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were this just a group of religious leaders that were like the leader of the leaders. And he said, that, that used to be me. He goes on now. Verse number 6. Now I'm on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. What's he talking about here? Paul is referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to the Old Testament that the Jewish leaders that were there accusing him of doing something wrong would have known very well. He's making an appeal to what he knows they believe in. They believe in the Old Testament. Guess what the Old Testament is all about? It is all about telling people that Jesus, the Messiah, the Rescuer, is coming. Their hope is coming. And he says, I have the same hope that they do. It goes on now in verse number 7. In fact, that is why the 12 tribes of Israel zealously worship God night and day, and they share the same hope I have. Yet, your majesty, they accuse me for having this hope. They hoped for a rescuer. They hoped for a Messiah. They hoped for someone to come and to free them and to make them everything that they were supposed to be. Paul is arguing, I have the same hope and you're accusing me for having the same hope. Here's where things go two different ways, right? Paul believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that he's the Savior. He believes that he's the Rescuer. The Jewish leaders do not believe that's who Jesus was. Why does Paul believe that Jesus is this hope? Why does Paul believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Why does Paul believe that Jesus is the Rescuer? Because Jesus came back from the dead. The Jewish leaders ignored it, denied it, tried to hide it, act like it never happened. And so they're still hoping for the Messiah. They still believe he's going to come. The sad thing is, at this point, they had missed their hope. Here's one thing all of us crave. No matter who you are, where you come from, where you're headed, what is taking place in your life, what kind of relationship you're in right now or not, here's one thing all of us crave. We crave hope. We crave hope. It's what gets us up in the morning. It's what keeps us going. Knowing that things are going to get better. Knowing that things are, are going to come through. Knowing that things are going to work out. Hope keeps us going. Think about the things that you have quit in your life. Whether it be a job or a relationship or um, an athletic thing or whatever. Let me tell you when you quit. You quit when you lost hope. You quit when you thought, you know what, there is no getting better. I'm done. I, this is just this worst job ever, and it's, getting, it's just getting worse every day. I, it's not worth it. I'm out of here. Athletics. You know, you grow up, I'm going to play professional, right? NBA, here I come. All that stuff. And then at some point, you, you, you kind of lose hope. And maybe it's because you're self-aware or somebody else made you aware. 
right? Hey, buddy, uh, you, you don't have what it takes. And we've had those moments, right, when we became aware of where we really were and hope's gone and our dreams are dashed and we crave hope. We crave hope. And in this life and the wrestle we have with all the imperfect things that we deal with and all the sinful things that we deal with and all the evil that we deal with in this world, we're all hoping that there's hope. We're all hoping that this isn't it. We're all hoping that there's some way that we can get rid of the evil that we've got in our life. We're all hoping that there's some way that we can get rid of our sin. We're all hoping that there's a better world to come. And he said, that's the hope that I'm talking about. I have the exact same hope. I believe in the Messiah that you're still waiting for. And the reason why I believe that Jesus is the Messiah is because he died for me and he came back from the dead. Again, everybody's looking for hope. And everybody's looking for rescue. Some people just miss it. And this morning, I don't want you to miss it. Your hope, whether you realize it or not, you are looking for hope. And his name is Jesus. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. Well, how would people miss him? It's kind of like the guy that was stuck in the flood. And there he is out in the middle of, you know, this flooded field on top of the house and nowhere to go. And a boat comes by. And the boat says, hey, you want to ride, buddy? He's like, nope, I'm praying, asking God to rescue me. The boat goes on. Helicopter comes by, hey, buddy, get on the rope, we'll lift you up. No, thank you, I've prayed and God's going to rescue me. Time goes by, he gets kind of aggravated with God. God, what's the deal? I've been praying, asking you to rescue me. And God says, what about the boat and the helicopter? We miss it sometimes. Your hope is Jesus. Your hope is Jesus. And the reason why he's our hope is because he died for us. And because he came back from the dead. Many are going to get to heaven and it's not going to be about a helicopter or a boat. But God's going to say, what about Jesus that I sent you? And he was your rescue. And he was your hope. And Paul doesn't want them to miss it. Look now at verse number 8. Verse number 8. He says to them, why does it seem incredible to any of you that God can raise the dead? Why is that an outlandish thought for you? He's working on the assumption that he knows the people that he's speaking to. He knows he's speaking to Jewish religious people. He knows that they believe in God. He knows that they believe that God created, created everything. They know that, he, that they believe that God sustains everything. And he's asking them, why is it such an incredible outlandish idea for you that God can raise the dead? He's speaking to other people who are not of the Jewish faith, who maybe don't believe in the God of the Bible, but they believe in God's. They believe that some supernatural being started all of it, sustains all of it. Maybe they believe in a bunch of them. But he's saying to them, you believe in a higher power, so why is it so incredible for you to think that God can raise the dead? That God can raise the dead. So he just keeps going back to what he's all about, and that is the resurrection. And here's what I want you to get, the big idea this morning, and that is this. The resurrection is the reason we believe, worship, and speak boldly the name of Jesus. Why'd you show up this morning? Well, because if I didn't, my grandma would get really, really mad at me. Okay, maybe that was your reason, but hopefully that's not the reason. Hopefully today we own our faith, and the reason why we come and we gather, the reason why we believe, the reason why we talk about Jesus is because of the resurrection. 
It's not because we believe he's a better way. It's because we believe he's the only way. He's the only way. Why do we sing when it's time to sing? Well, because Keaton will give me the stink eye if I don't because, you know, he's a mean guy like that, right? No, no, we sing because Jesus rose up from the dead. Ask me why I sit on the front row. I will tell you. Okay, you ask. I will tell you. I sit on the front row for two reasons. One, I have to come up here when the worship time's done. Second reason, I can sing as loud as I want to up here about my risen Savior, and there's nobody in front of me to have to bear the brunt of it, right? I don't know what y'all are doing back there. I don't know. I don't know. But it's not between me and you. It's not between you and me. We are worshiping the risen Savior when we get together. Man, express yourself, like lift your voice, lift your hands, lift your life to the risen king. Well, why would I have an uncomfortable conversation with my neighbor or my friend or my coworker? Why would I speak to them about the name of Jesus? Because we're not offering them religion. We're not selling them anything. We are offering them freedom in Christ that comes through his death and his burial and his resurrection. The resurrection, resurrection is the reason why we believe, worship, and speak boldly in the name of Jesus. After this, Paul then shares his personal story of who he used to be and how he met Jesus and how God changed him. And by the way, your story is incredible. And I'll just go and tell you that if you are a part of HC Groups tonight, you're going to have a chance to start thinking through, if you haven't already, and really formulating your story. It's not about putting you, like, on the spot or anything. It's about you just thinking through, like, what's my story? Paul's story is incredible. Let me tell you something about your story. Your story is incredible. If you used to be stuck in your sin and you are free in Christ today, that's an incredible story. It's an incredible story. Work on that. Remember that so that when God gives you an opportunity, whether it's before a king or whether it's before a neighbor, you'll be ready to share your story, which leads to Jesus. Look now in chapter 26, beginning verse number 20. He continues in talking to King Agrippa. He has shared his story, and now he says this in verse 20, Paul does. I preach first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins and turn to God. Repenting is a change of direction. I used to be going this way, which was my way, and now I'm going the way of Jesus, which is this way. It's the exact opposite direction. And we are able to do that when Jesus forgives us of the direction we were going in, which was a sinful direction, and we turn ourselves, and he is our righteousness as we spoke about, and he puts us in a new direction, a new direction. You can't make that happen on your own. You can only do it when you confess and repent of your sin and let Jesus change your direction. Religion says you can turn yourself towards God. Christianity says only Jesus can turn you towards God because of his death his burial, and resurrection. Have I said that quite a bit this morning? I want us to get it. Like, wait a minute, it's not, is it, wait a minute, is it Easter today? There's no many more people here on Easter. This is what we are all about, people, the resurrection of Jesus. And he preached to them. This way it goes on and says, and prove they have changed by the good things they do. Why do you do good things? To show people that you're good or to show people that Jesus has changed you? 
Religion says do good things so people will think you're good and so God will think you're good. Christianity says do good things because Jesus has changed you and you can draw more attention to Jesus as you live a different and a holy and a godly and a good life. Verse 21. Some Jews arrested me in the temple for preaching this and they tried to kill me. But God has protected me right up to this present time so I can testify to everyone from the least to the greatest. I teach nothing except what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead, and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Suddenly, Festus, he's there, okay? Suddenly, Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane! Too much study has made you crazy. Man, that's a really intelligent response to Paul right now, right? That's the best you can come up with. Man, this dude's crazy. Dude's crazy. Dude, crazy. That's a pretty normal, self-defensive like, way to respond, right? Like if somebody says something that you don't like and you don't really know how to rebut it, oh, this guy's just crazy, right? I mean, we, we don't know what else to say, and so he just jumps up and says, this guy's crazy. This guy's crazy. Look now, verse number 25. But Paul replied, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus. What, am I, what I am saying is the sober truth. Verse 26. And King Agrippa knows about these things. Speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. It's like this whole thing called Christianity, this whole Jesus and death thing that we're speaking about, including the resurrection, like it's all been done in public. He was crucified in public. They hung him on a cross on a hill. Everybody knew about it because they drug him through town. Everybody knows about it. Resurrection, Jesus didn't just like get stolen from a grave and nobody ever see him again. It was public. Jesus hung out with hundreds of people after coming back from the dead. Christianity is not some weird club. It's not some cult. He's like, this is a way of life. This didn't happen in a corner. goes on now. Same verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Paul has done his research, Paul has interacted with people, and he knows that this king named Agrippa has come to the place that he is leaning into the God of the Bible, that he is leaning into what the prophets of the Old Testament have said. If you know your biblical history, there's another Agrippa, it would have been this guy's dad, who was an ugly, just horrible man. He had James uh, one of the disciples of Jesus killed. He also had Peter arrested. This guy would have grown up watching his dad do all of that, and now it's like, I don't want to be like that guy anymore. I don't want to be like my dad because he was ugly, and he was. I think I'll be different. So he's starting to lean in potentially into faith and into the Old Testament. And Paul's appealing to that. Verse 28, Agrippa interrupted him because it was getting way too close to the situation. He says, do you think you can persuade me to become Christian so quickly? Let me tell you what's going on right now in Agrippa's heart. And this is what Paul could sense, and it may be something you need to understand about your own self. Jesus was being proclaimed. His death and his burial and his resurrection that took place for the sin of Agrippa. Just like it took place for your sin and my sin. Agrippa has not come to the place that he believes in Jesus. He's not come to the place that he's willing to admit that he needs the Savior, Jesus. And Agrippa interrupts, 
saying, uh-oh, this guy's speaking to me right now directly, and I feel that, yeah, he kind of does know me. I am leaning into the prophets. I am showing forth signs of faith, and I don't like this feeling that I've got right now, so I'm going to cut him off and say, who are you to think that you can persuade me? And cuts it off. What was happening in Agrippa's heart is what's happening for you sometimes, maybe even right now in this moment, and it's called conviction of the Holy Spirit. Where your sin is becoming real, Jesus, who lived a couple thousand years ago, is becoming real for you right now. His death right now is gripping you. His resurrection is intriguing you, and you're trying to decide, should I buy in or should I not? Should I believe or should I not? I don't really like the way I feel right now, so can we just get this sermon over so I can get out of here? Conviction. That's what's taking place in Agrippa's heart. I want to encourage you that that's what God is doing right now. It's from him, and it's for your good so that you can experience the forgiveness of sin and the way of life through Jesus. Verse 29, Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am except for these chains. I want you to notice these words that are highlighted for you. The word pray, that means to plead with God for something, to talk to God for something. He tells us what he's talking to God about. He's talking to God about, he says, you, meaning Agrippa. He's like, I'm, I'm praying for you, Agrippa. You're on, my, you're on my lost list. I want the king of the region to become a believer. I want you to experience the salvation that I've experienced. Not so that you'll get off my back. Not so I don't have to worry about arrest. Not so I have to worry about, you know, being persecuted. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about your soul, Agrippa. Because if you don't receive Jesus, you're not going to heaven. You're going to hell. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to be unforgiven for the rest of eternity. And I don't want that for you because Jesus died for you. And then he says, and everyone else that's here, think about everybody that would have been in the room at the time. The Jewish leaders, the guys that wanted to string him up and hang him. He's praying for them. He's praying for them. So as you think about the people in your life that don't believe in Jesus, you should pray for them, and you should think about the people in your life that don't believe in Jesus that you don't like. Guess what you should do? Pray for them. Why? So you can be friends with them? That might be a residual effect of it, but so their sins can be forgiven and so they can experience the same salvation that you do. I don't deserve salvation any more than anyone else. You don't deserve salvation any more than anyone else. We all were once enemies of God. And so we pray for everyone, this intensity of prayer, praying for Agrippa and everybody else in the room. And he says, I want you to become like me. What does he mean by me? I want you to be a believer. I want you to be forgiven. I want you to have hope. I want you to have freedom. Think about this. Paul is standing there in front of them in chains. And he looks around the room and he realizes, I'm the only one in the room that's free. I'm the only one that's free because he was free spiritually. He was free from his sin. He was free, and he was free indeed. He said, I don't want you to have these chains. I want you to be free. And notice that Paul never in all of this says, hey, let me go. Hey, I, I, I don't deserve to be here. Hey, I don't want to be arrested. I don't want to be in chains. No, he's concerned about the chains that are on their hands and on their feet and on their life and on their soul. He wants them to be free. You want to know why Paul said this in this moment? It's the same reason we'll say 
what God wants us to say. When the resurrection is the reason we believe, worship, and speak the name of Jesus. If you get so enamored, overwhelmed by, overtaken by the resurrection of Jesus, it will change everything about you. Not just to the point of saying, I don't want to go to hell, I want to go to heaven, I'm going to pray a prayer, wonderful, great, good. But that is not the end all of salvation. When you get saved, God wants to keep overwhelming you and overtaking you and changing you through the resurrection so that everybody else can know about it too. And that's what Paul is doing. So believers in the room, church, listen to me. Let the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus overwhelm you today. If you consider yourself not a believer, not a Christian, let the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus overwhelm you today. Because he and he alone is our hope, and he and he alone is the one that can save us. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And uh, after we pray, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Uh, Not to respond to me and my feeble attempt, but to respond to Jesus who died for you, who was buried, who came back from the dead. And maybe you're like, yeah, awesome, love Jesus, but that, you know, okay, then, then like pray for other people to respond to that. Pray for people that need this salvation that we already have to respond to that. Believers, it ought to be a time of worship and celebration for you as you think about the risen Savior and you respond to him this morning. If you're an unbeliever that can change today, I don't know if you're on the verge of being persuaded or not. I'm not going to try to persuade you. I'm going to believe the Holy Spirit of God is going to convince you and convict you and draw you to Jesus who has died for you, who was buried for you, and who rose again. It's also going to be an opportunity to sing and to lift up your voices. It's going to be an opportunity to give this morning and just do that generously. And thank you, church, for all that you do because it helps us go forth with the gospel in our community and in the world, in the world. So I want to encourage you to respond this morning.